Everybody has an opinion on the Lakers. Good, bad, it doesn't matter. They win championships, they move the needle in the city, and right now the Lakers are trending south. Looks like they would not make the playoffs. With LeBron James on their team, I always like to say that the Lakers are like a telenovela. There's always something with them. Tanya Ganguly covers the Lakers. She will give us the pulse of the team. As it looks like the season might be short. Plus, Nathan Fennell, our Enterprise reporter, stops by. The Clippers are talking about maybe moving to Inglewood, building a new arena. Oh, but he uncovered some court documents that are very interesting. He'll give us the latest on that. NBA drama in LA. I'm your host, Beth Duran. It's the Arrive Early Leave Late Podcast. It's Wednesday, March 6th. Before we get to the Lakers, Tanja, how are you feeling? It's March, the season up, down, sideways, travel, gossip. Nobody ever asks how the reporters feel, and I do. How are you doing? <laughs> you care. I do care. <laughs> I'm fine. It's going to be, I think it's going to be a shorter Lakers season than I expected when this all began. So we had the All-Star break. They've been they've been struggling a little bit. Um, a little bit. Yeah. We've had, I mean, the, the nice thing about what we're doing now as a paper is that we have so many people on the NBA now that... I do get breaks. So BT was nice enough. He went to New Orleans and Memphis and saw those two Lakers losses. And then I'm going to pick them up for the rest of the year. But yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay. So is it one, two, three Cancun for you? You ready to go? It's not for me. That was, uh, you know, what's funny. My first year that I covered the finals for the paper, the Cavs were about to get swept by the Warriors. And I had a friend getting married in Cancun. And if they had been swept, I could have gone to the wedding. And so everyone was making that joke with me. Oh, it's one, two, three Cancun for you. But unfortunately, LeBron got his team together and they won a game and I couldn't go to the wedding. <laughs> yeah, the story goes, one of the players back in the day. So oh, the yeah. season is over. Forget team, forget Lakers on three. It's one, two, three Cancun. <laughs> Let's get going. It's Nick Van Exel, right? Nick Van Exel, right? <laughs> who's now an assistant coach in the NBA. But the reason I bring that up, it seems like the Lakers are not going to be making the playoffs. You just said in the beginning that it looks like you didn't expect this. I don't think anybody expected it. I think everybody said, LeBron signs up, you'll at least get to the first round. What has happened to this team? There's been just so many things happening. I mean, it's a combination of the injury to LeBron. LeBron was out 17 games and then missed another one. That has been a problem for them. Lonzo Ball has been out. That's been a problem for them. They've had all these different lineups because of the injuries, and they've not been able to find any consistency. Then you have some of the issues that came up with the trade deadline, and they can say all they want that like they just have to get over it. I mean, Magic Johnson went to Philly, talked to the guys, told them that this is a business. Now you've seen that it's a business. Time to move on and make go make the playoffs. But there's a human element to it and their chemistry, for whatever reason, it might not be the trade deadline. There might be something else going on. For whatever reason, their chemistry is clearly not there. It's much easier to have chemistry on offense than defense. And right now, their defense has been so bad. Rondo is a player who I found him very interesting from when he was with the Celtics and covered in the playoffs then. He seems like he gets it. Like, And now when he's here with the Lakers, he understands his role to an extent. But you sat down with him for, what, 15, 20 minutes uh, recently? Yeah, I sat down with him at a point in the season right before the All-Star break. And sometimes with stories like this, like you do the interview whenever they can, and then you find the right time to run it. 
I think right now, Laker fans don't want to talk about anything other than what happened. (laughs) You know, why? where did this all go wrong? That's all Laker fans want to talk about. So I've been struggling with when to find the right time to to write this story. But but we had a very interesting conversation. And a lot of it was about his relationship with those young guys and, and how he tries to help them. When did you sort of start adopting this idea that you wanted to share what you knew with your younger teammates? When I became the older teammate, <laughs> I've always like wanted to share, but obviously as a young player in the league, well, me in particular, I just wanted to be a sponge and, and learn as much as I could from so many older players around me. I played with a lot of older veteran guys that was willing to pass me the knowledge and give me any information I asked of. And so it's only right that I do the same thing. You know, it was given to me. and. I feel like I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have the knowledge and the veterans that, that cared about me to help me become the professional I am. So um, I feel like it's, you know, I'm, I'm in a situation now, I'm 32 years old, and 13 years in, it's, it's time for me to do the same. The young guys on this team seem to really respond to you. Like they seem, it seems like, they, like they'll always bring you up when they talk about who's teaching them. Like they, they seem to really like you. Um, really? <laughs> <laughs> Been like that on on uh, the last few teams that you've been on. Uh, I would say so. I think they like me. <laughs> um, like, like I said, they seem receptive. They they ask questions and and I, I tell a lot of guys from day one when I first meet them it's like if anything I can always help or teach. You know, I'm willing to give it to you if you want it. You know, sometimes you know people may think I talk too much or because I when KG was talking I, a lot of times like he's always talking or he always has a story, but. The older you get, obviously, like I said, the more life experiences you have, and if you're willing to share it, you know, it's there, you know, with information. So um, it's humbling to know, you know, young guys do look up to me, or they do respect or respond to what I'm saying to them. So uh, it always comes from a good place, and meaning and wanting the best for the young guys. And it's time for me now to pass it down. So um, Chicago, Sacramento, New Orleans, like all the young guys, pretty much, I would, I would say. I think appreciate what, I, what I've given him, and then what the best thing about it is now when I go to different teams or when I see different players around the league, it's like they always come up to me and show me a lot of respect, and that's, you know, that's the best thing about what I do. Do you play chess? I don't play chess. Everybody so keeps just asking connect, me. It's yeah. just Connect Four. Just Connect Four. I started to learn chess this summer with my kids, mm-hmm. um, but I'm, I don't play yet. I'll probably pick it up this summer. Everybody keeps asking me. I've been trying to do it for the last couple of years, but everyone that wants to teach me is like, Destroy me, yeah, because right, I'm at the beginning stage. So I guess this is how you have to learn. You take your lumps early, getting it done. So. Who all have you done like the film sessions with? On this team? Yeah. Zoe, Kuz, B.I., Pope. Had sessions where we just watch it as a team, myself, and I would do a little bit of talking, but I like to hear what those guys think as well. Because, you know, you don't always want to have one voice. You know, a guy to think he knows it all. So I kind of want to hear what those guys think, you know, or how they're breaking down the game. And if, you know, I just try to add my two cents in at some point. Film is always hard to watch. You know, it's, that's the best thing about it. It's, it's the ugly truth. And maybe right after the game, people ask you questions. It's like you don't really know because you may feel one thing. Once you watch the film, you understand that you, you play a lot better or you play worse. So it's different. Film doesn't lie. You know, it tells you the truth about everything, the way your movements, the way you play defense or offense, so to me it's the best thing that you can possibly do. You kept using the phrase, I grew up here, when you were in Boston. Um, if you had to point to like one thing that you would say, like, this shows how this, I changed a lot in this way through my time in Boston, what would that be? Probably my leadership. I mean, I came in the league at 20 years old, and you know, 
I think I left Boston, I was 28, 27. So, I mean, just coming from like, you know, a kid to a man at that age, I think I had, well, I had two kids by the time I left Boston. Just the way I approached the game every day. I was very professional, but I learned a lot of, you know, about work ethic. I actually used the weight room a lot more. Like, I didn't lift at all when I first started. You know, obviously, because you're young, you think you're invincible, you don't need to live for it. You can wake up and just play. Now, it's, I'm a lot more professional and taking care of my body. I'm dieting a lot differently now. I used to eat McDonald's before the game. I used to eat Big Mac. You know, it's sushi, but it was Big Mac. I mean, it's just stuff that wasn't good for you or healthy or productive to produce as much energy you need on the course. So now I'm a lot more aware of what I'm putting in my body. It's just a complete difference by the time I left Boston. I'll change. He's definitely an interesting player. The veteran has some wisdom. The past few weeks have been a little tougher on him because he wasn't starting for a little while after they got Reggie Bullock into the fold. They tried a different lineup that had Rondo out of the starting lineup. Brandon Ingram was the starting point guard. Technically, LeBron took a lot of the point guard responsibilities and Rondo was coming off the bench. I asked him he's, if that bothered him and he said, you know, I've been through this before. It's fine. But I know that Rondo is a guy that really believes in his ability to be a starter. And he was a starter last year. And he obviously has shown the capability to be a starter with the Lakers. Once he got back in the starting lineup, he had 16 assists. So I think that that probably was a little tough on him. And their point guard situation, though, right now is just so difficult overall because of Lonzo Ball's injury. How's Luke doing? You know, it depends day to day. I mean, he understands the situation that he's in, which is that his job security is a huge topic of conversation all the time. And the Lakers have said they're not going to fire him during the season, but there's been no indication of what's going to happen at the end of the season. Is he going to make it through this summer? And he's in a position where he's not being given the kind of support that would make you believe that the team was really committed to him. He's got Jeannie Buss as a backer, and that's very important. I mean, she's obviously very important. Yeah. She's at, she's at the right at the top. Whatever she says goes. But the fact that it's obvious that there are others below her that don't necessarily believe in him all the way makes things pretty tough on on him and gives you sort of a feeling that they might make a change at the end of the season. What about in that locker room? You have LeBron, who's in his 30s, who looks like he's going to miss the playoffs for the first time in a long time. And then you have young players, and they grew up in the social media age where now they're checking their phone at halftime. They're getting messages from everybody. Hey, here are the rumors. What's that locker room like right now? I don't think it's about rumors right now. I think the locker room right now is they've been in a difficult place this week because of that loss in Phoenix. After I mean, that locker room after that game, we had guys, Kyle Kuzma, was. he said, there's obviously something wrong with this team. Josh Hart, I asked him about, does this team believe in each other? And he said, well, we have to. Uh, but he didn't say yes. And so That's a good, interesting quote. You know, Luke Walton, I asked him that question. He said yes, but he has to say yes. I didn't get a chance to ask LeBron that question. And Brandon Ingram, I did ask, and he said, I trust the guy next to me. You'll have to talk to everybody around here. So there's some fracturing happening in the locker room. And, I mean, losing to the Suns, I think Kuzma, when I asked him if there's a trust problem in the locker room, he said there obviously is. I mean, we've lost to every bad team in the league. And they had just lost to the worst Wait, they've lost to every bad team? They have not lost to every bad team, but that's how it felt to him. They lost to the Knicks, they lost to the Cavs, they lost to the Hawks, the Grizzlies, the Pelicans. I mean, these are teams that they should beat. The teams where you just roll out the ball, you put that, because that's a W tonight, but it's not the case for the Lakers. Take me to the reporter side. When you're in that locker room and you're asking these questions, 
Do you believe what they're telling you? Yeah, I think everyone was pretty honest in the locker room after the game, after Saturday's game, I should say. I think everyone was pretty honest about how they were feeling this morning, or not this morning, sorry. I lose track of days. It's That's okay. the beat writer's life. Monday morning, um, Luke Walton was asked about some of the things that those guys said and asked if he's concerned about his players feeling that way. And he said, well, I would be concerned if it was today that they were saying this. But that was Saturday right after the game. They had just lost. They just had a really bad loss. And Walton really felt like it's okay for guys to feel that down then. He okay. believes that he had he believed that morning that it was it was out of the locker room by then. Yeah, time is on other side. Season winding down, and this is a tough stretch, especially the way that they've been playing. When you cover a team, yeah, I do this for many years, where at times you're around them every single day and you see them all of the time. Where sometimes you forget what the outside world is saying about them. Because you're like, wait a minute, what social media is saying? I mean, that's fake. Like what fans are saying, that's not true because you're in that locker room all the time. And you said you have to believe what these guys are telling you. What is it that the fan doesn't know about this team that you do? I don't know. I mean, I try to tell the fans the things that I know about this team. I think something that I that I hear a little bit is, you know, there's confusion about some of the ways that they use players and especially in their big man rotations. Um, I got an email a few days ago from a guy who didn't understand why they didn't play Tyson Chandler more. And Tyson has, has been very good for them when he's played, but Tyson is in his 18th year, I think, mm-hmm. in the NBA. Part of the reason he's not playing is his body is not able to play as many minutes as he used to be able to play. I mean, that's the thing. I think the roster construction in a lot of ways is biting them now. And it wouldn't have been a problem if LeBron had never gotten hurt. And there's nothing you can do about that, obviously. Like that injury was nobody's fault. But if he had never gotten hurt, you were not having this conversation because they were a four seed when that injury happened. And maybe they are playing so well that near the trade deadline, the Lakers don't feel like they have to take a big swing. They don't feel like they have to go all in for Anthony Davis and they don't offer the young guys that they offered. That whole scenario doesn't play out. There are so many what ifs, but I think that that really changed the Lakers season. I have a feeling that your phone must always be charged, that you're always looking at it because you just never know what might be coming your way. Like when the team is going well, it's a machine, right? It's well oiled. you know what time, you know, you know where to be. But when there's drama all the time, when there's rumors here, when there are innuendo here, you got to stay on top of it. How much more difficult or easier is your job when it's times like this? It's not easier, but it's more fun. I don't want to say fun, but like I get you. you want things to be happening as a reporter. Like you want th- you're on your toes. You want like something going on. If it's like a bad team that's like boring and like you don't have anything to write about, there's no shortage of things to write about right now. <laughs> and when they're good, you, it's the same way. Like you can, there's so much stuff you can write about when a team is good because people want to hear the fun stories. They want to read like little features on different things guys are doing when the team is playing well. So either way, I think you want the team to be really good or really bad because one way or another, you're going to have stuff to write about. So this has been covering the Lakers isn't easy, but it's always interesting. And that's what you want. It's definitely interesting. How are your mentions on Twitter doing? They're okay. Yeah. People mostly aren't blaming me for all this. Oh, really? It's not your fault? But uh, I got a couple. I got one the (laughs) other day. Somebody was really angry because LeBron like topped Kobe in career field goals made in the NBA. He passed Kobe during the Suns game. That's what we play for. 
the Lakers announced it because the Lakers, once these milestones happen, they announce them so that we can put them in our notebooks or our stories. Yeah. And I tweeted, the Lakers announced this, and someone got real mad at me about that. And I was like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I understand that it's hard for you. I just don't know what you want from me there. <laughs> we just want the good coverage from Tanya. We want the stories, and you're doing a great job this season with you. Tanya Ganguly, what your tacos? I mean, you're, I'm looking at your food right now, but I, I just, do you even care about the tacos on the road anymore? I got Chipotle today. All right, all right. We'll give them that. I don't think I had any tacos in Phoenix. You, can't, you don't have time. Yeah, I didn't. It was only there. I was there for less than 24 hours. Too much going on. Yeah. Sonora Town in downtown LA, though. Have you ever been there? Sonora Town? Yeah. In downtown? Yeah. We got to make a road trip. Have you? It's it's not a road. It's just in L.A. Hey, in downtown. L.A. If in L.A. If you got to leave the other side of the freeway, then it's a road trip. Their chivichangas are amazing in downtown. They're, the, they're like yeah, they're okay. The so from the airport where we record to downtown, that's at least an hour and a half. That's so, not true. That's not even remotely true. It takes me twenty five to forty minutes. Leave to get at four o'clock. Why would you ever leave at four o'clock? Because we love the arrive early, leave late podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Appreciate you as always. All right. Never a dull moment with the Lakers. Tanya Gagouli does a great job covering them. And you always say that the telenovela that is the Lakers. But at the same time, they share a building with the Clippers. Now, I know what you're saying. Okay, Bethel, we don't hear about the Clippers. It's a Lakers town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard that. Look, I was a Clipper intern and I work covering the Lakers. So I've seen both sides, people. Clippers organization is an organization that knows that they are the little brother to the Lakers. They know they're not going to get the attention. And at times they make decisions that you're wondering like, what is going on? Like they got a mascot all of a sudden, different uniforms. Okay. So when nobody is really paying much attention to you, you can do certain things. That is unless Nathan Fenno has an eye on you. Nathan wrote an excellent story about the city of Inglewood, the Clippers and a new arena and the back and forth with MSG. Give us the lowdown of what's going on. So the fact the Clippers are pursuing an arena in Inglewood, that's not surprising. That came out. Heard that uh, for a while. Yeah, yeah. Back in uh, what June of 2017, that became public. Yeah, they want to have their own identity. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense because, you know, they're the third wheel at Staples Center behind the Lakers and the Kings in terms of scheduling. And, and as well, Steve Ballmer, uh, I mean, he spent $2 billion on the team, so he wants to have a basketball first arena with all the technical and gizmos and gadgets and things like that to make their home his way. And you know what? If you're worth $42 billion like Steve Ballmer is, you know what? You probably have enough money to build your home your way. <laughs> Cash money, homie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's not surprising yeah, to no. anybody. But how the Clippers came to settle on Inglewood has been more of a question. What happened behind the scenes? And uh, Well, they're building the new football stadium. Yeah. Right? And it kind of makes sense. If you're going to have a football stadium, you kind of want to have like the entertainment area around there. You've seen it in a lot of metropolitan cities. Yeah. And that would really create this sort of critical mass for the region. You already have two NFL teams there, the NFL Network moving to the development around the football stadium. You put a state-of-the-art NBA arena with a team there. I mean, and then you have the Forum nearby as well. It's a terrific concert venue. You're really cooking then. So what's the problem? The problem is with the Forum. So the folks who own the Forum, Madison Square Garden Company, the New York-based company, they own the Knicks and the Rangers and a ton of stuff. They're powerful. They're giant. They, of course, own the Forum, and they were not happy that the Clippers are pursuing an arena in Inglewood. They alleged that the Inglewood mayor had tricked them into surrendering a lease for the land where the Clippers want to build this arena. The mayor denies this, but it's kicked off. Because this. if the Clippers move, now the Forum loses concerts to the new basketball arena? Yeah. Okay. Because you got to fill those empty dates. You know, a basketball team only takes up 
50 dates a year or something okay. like that, that leaves 310 some odd days you got to fill up or at least try okay. to fill up. So the forum saying, no, don't come here because we don't want to lose our tenants. Got yeah. It. So after this project was announced in June of 2017, it ended up just kicking off a nasty, nasty legal fight between the city of Inglewood, Madison Square Garden, and the Clippers. There are a ton of lawyers involved, uh, more than I can count. And as part of this, people have been deposed. There have been a lot of emails turned over during discovery, all this kind of stuff that goes on with lawyers who just going toe-to-toe and brawling it out. Usually it doesn't involve companies as powerful and as recognizable as Madison Square Garden, the Clippers, and then you have the city that's on the cusp of a real transformation in Inglewood. But as part of that, there was a filing in L.A. Superior Court in January of about 1,100 pages of emails and other documents. They were supposed to be filed under seal. That means that folks like you and I can't see them unless you're the lawyer or judge in the case. Nobody else can see them. So they were supposed to be filed under seal. They weren't. Why? Somebody just messed up? Somebody just messed up. That simple. Like, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not pretending to play one. I have lawyer friends. So it It's showed, really so, that yeah. simple. Yeah. So these documents were <laughs> available for about a week. Anybody could download them. And being a good reporter, I did so. And they disappeared from the- uh, Why did you know? Or how did you know? I mean, you have to give your sources, but what made you think that there's something there? I check court filings every day. Oh, I, do you? Oh, yeah. It's a part of the job, and I'm kind of the obsessive type. So uh, there's a number of cases we keep eyes on. That's one of them. So anybody can do this? Yeah. You're sent your computer, and you yeah. go through LA County Superior Court, and you see this, and you see the name Clippers? There's a few different cases related to the spat over the arena, and I check those. Those are among those I check every day. And you know, I try to read every scrap of paper, because you never know when you're going to get a tidbit that's going to lead to a interesting story or help to... Uh, increase our understanding and more importantly, our community's understanding of what's really going on. So were you working on a previous story? Yeah, I've been following this and reporting okay. on it from the get-go. And it's a fascinating situation because again, you add this arena right across the street from the football stadium. And again, you're talking about an entertainment destination that is maybe unrivaled. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. So, let me get this right. Somebody's supposed to put this under seal. So you, Nathan Fennell from the LA Times, doesn't see it. They don't do it. This pops up. And you start reading it, and what do you discover? It's a goldmine of information, but it's information that had been turned over during the discovery process, and it primarily consisted of emails to or from one of the Clippers' minority owners, a guy named Dennis Wong, who uh, turned out was a college roommate of Steve Ballmer's at Harvard. So they were tight. They're buddies. Dennis had taken a leading role in this search for a new arena, and these emails kind of chronicled this process, and it included emails with the developer and City people and Steve Ballmer and really the kind of unfiltered, unvarnished communication shows how something like this comes together behind the scenes. You're reading their emails. Yep. And you're finding that, oh man, I'm onto something here. There's a story. Yeah. And it's the sort of thing where, again, you don't usually see how these deals come together behind the scenes. You know, that's not something you can get at. You get whatever the public version is, the official version. But it's an interesting window into what happened. So where do we stand right now? You write the story, comes down to the LA Times, that the city of Inglewood, the Clippers, and MSG are not getting along right now, right? Yeah. And, you know, what these emails showed, one of the key things was that the discussions between the Clippers and Inglewood about building a potential arena there started about almost a year earlier than they had previously acknowledged. And this property that they've targeted for the arena, they had been eyeing as early as April of 2016, the Clippers had. And there's some fascinating emails in there with expressing concern that MSG will find out about their plan. Oh, so they're keeping this from MSG? 
Yeah. So MSG thinks we have a lease with the forum. MSG has a lease with the city for the with property. the city of property. Yeah. And then the city tells them that we need this area. Well, according to MSG's court filings, and you know how people are in court filings, there's always two sides yeah. to it. But MSG said that the mayor represented to them that the city wanted to build a technology park. And so they needed that land and MSG signed it over. So they signed it over saying, oh, a technology park. Yeah. Okay, good. Now, of course, the city denies that and says that's a, a bunch of bunk. And that'll be for a jury to decide if this ever goes to trial. But it makes for a fascinating situation to cover because you have these huge personalities like Jim Dolan, who is the chairman of MSG and runs the Knicks, and Irving Azoff, who's a uh, very well-known businessman who works very closely with MSG and the forum. You know, on one side, and then Steve Ballmer, who's worth $42 billion on another side, and James Butts, the mayor of Inglewood, who helped bring the two NFL teams there. You have this collision of very powerful, very motivated people in a very nasty legal distance. Where do we stand right now? Right now, this thing is still a mess. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's scheduled for trial next year. Who knows if we'll actually go to trial? Um, it'll be very interesting to see how it unfolds going forward. So the city of Inglewood is going to reap no matter what, right? Yeah, with the new football stadium, you know, that's, and the associated development around that, you know, that's a transformational kind of project. And MSG signed over that lease, they were done because this future technology park is what we're using for a parking lot, correct? And that's what MSG says. Now, again, Inglewood vigorously and strenuously denies that's what happened, but the bottom line is MSG signed over the parking lease and then... Finds out, wait a minute, we were lied to. The Clippers want to build an arena there. So all of a sudden, what you told us was that Future Technology Park is not going to be the home of the Clippers. It's going to be competition for our forum. Yeah. Oh, And man. that's, you know, at the core of this. MSG doesn't want a competitor about a mile from the forum. A brand new facility, too. Yeah, you know, with all the bells and whistles and, and that kind of thing. And so MSG has sued Inglewood and the mayor for fraud. And again, of course, Inglewood and the mayor deny it. Then the Clippers countersued MSG, trying, you know, saying they were trying to, you know, blow up the arena project. And it's just a big mess. The lawyers are the only ones who are really uh, succeeding in this. When you say sue, how much money are we talking about? They haven't asked for a specific amount of damages. You know, obviously, given how many lawyers are involved, and there's a lot of money at stake here for everybody. <laughs> I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. If somebody's listening right now and saying, you know what, these are rich people problems, but no, they're billionaire problems because it's also Steve Ballmer wants to have something new for his team. Is the project going to go forward? I don't think we know at this point in time. And, you know, one of the things that fascinates me about this is it taps into some broader issues about, you know, there's an ongoing discussion in Inglewood about gentrification caused by the new developments, including the stadium and, you know, would a, putting a new arena in there displace people? Would it cause more traffic? How would it impact pollution? Things like that. It taps into some of the broader conversations that is a region we've been having. And even if the arena would go forward, it's currently under environmental review. It wouldn't be completed until the 2024 season. So it's something that's still very far off. The emails from Steve Ballmer to his staff, I was reading your story. Very interesting, like the way that they talk. Like, why not just have a conversation with each other face to face? Like. They're busy people. I mean, it's the same reason we shoot emails to each other. Okay. And, uh, you know, That's what about, I was thinking. Uh, Some of this seems like gossip. Some of this seems like stuff I wouldn't want anybody to know what's going on because reporters like you that are snooping around looking for my stuff, Fenno, leave me alone. I don't want to go to court. But trashing other cities and Bomber or, hey, figuring out how to make sure these people don't know about things. When you're reading this, what are you thinking? One of the emails that had really jumped out to me was at one point during this process in 2016, 
it had been suggested to Steve Ballmer that perhaps the Clippers should consider the site in Inglewood used to be a landfill. I'm sorry, in, in Carson, where the Chargers and Raiders had wanted to build a stadium. And obviously that didn't work out. And uh, Ballmer had responded basically there's no way we would ever go to Carson. It would be better if we stayed at the Staples Center. And that was that. It came across in an email. Who knows what the As tone the was. the unofficial was mayor of Carson? Yeah, well, we don't want the Clippers there anyways. No, back to the story, <laughs> though. When you're going through these documents, it's always fascinating what you do as an enterprise reporter, going and finding different things, and you're still working on this story. How long from when you found it to when the actual story hit print? What was this process for you? took about three weeks. You want to read through everything and once, twice, three times and you know give everybody involved plenty of time to comment. It's not really something people like to talk about given the ongoing litigation, but you want to be fair to everybody and uh, you know then have all the editors involved and things like How that. How about the but, uh, mayor of Inglewood? What does he have to say? His attorney, you know, through an attorney, just declined to uh, do more than kind of issue a boilerplate statement about where they're at and certainly denying all the allegations in MSG's lawsuit. Can he deny how he was supposed to be introduced at one of these press conferences? You know, there was a very interesting uh, email exchange, and we ended the story with it, where uh, it was a couple of days before the uh, project became public in uh, June of 2017. And it was some people involved with it and some public affairs people who were discussing the rollout of this. One of the emails, it was passed along a request from the mayor to be recognized. And the Clippers people thought that was a good idea because he'd helped them out a lot. And the developer involved in the project chimed in and sent an email saying he agreed. But he didn't want to focus on the time element because it's not good to have people focused on how long these deals have brewed in back rooms. It was a very interesting thing to say. When this story goes to court, if they do get to court, obviously you'll be there because you've been working on this. But isn't this something that a potential juror could have possibly read? Yeah. And, you know, it'll at the same time, though, we live in a gigantic area, obviously. And, you know, there's only a, a portion of those people who follow the Clippers and an even the smaller portion who follow the Clippers and read the L.A. Times. And, you know, I'm sure that'll be something that if and when this gets to a trial that jurors will be quizzed about. You seem to have a little a little giddy up with you today. Like, oh. It seems like your juices are flowing like you're into this story. You know, we are. We love digging into stuff. And ultimately, you know, these projects impact communities and being able to let the community know more about what happened. And they can draw their own conclusions. That's not our business. But it's being able to let people know what was going on behind the scenes. You know, there was a meeting at a Ritz-Carlton in Marina Del Rey that back in 2016 between the mayor and Steve Ballmer and some of his associates that really helped kick this off. It's important to let people know how these things came about. They can draw their own conclusions, make their own judgments. But we want to provide that information for them. What has been the reaction from people in the community to the story? You know, there hasn't been a whole lot of reaction, actually. You know, there's people's positions on this arena seem to be pretty clearly staked out. There's some people who support it, some people who don't, and then some people, probably the largest group, who are just trying to go about their lives and, you know, make ends meet and pay rent and that kind of thing. So it goes back to the building their problems where if you're a resident of Inglewood, you're like, just bring something here that can generate some income, generate jobs. But if you're MSG and you feel like you were misled, and if you're the Clippers trying to build something new, it's going to get ugly, it seems like. Yeah, definitely. And I think it can be hard for your average Joe to relate to a, an arena that could cost, you know, who knows, maybe a billion dollars, something like that. That seems very uh, abstract, or it could seem very abstract. But when you're talking about how is that going to impact traffic on my street, or what's that going to do to my rent bill, or maybe could that provide a job opportunity for me, then it becomes a little more real. I know it's hard to answer this question, but when could we possibly get an answer to what's going on here? Boy, that is, uh, <laughs> you know, if I had the answer to that, I... <laughs> All right, I got to ask that. I got to no, ask that. I'm not an no. enterprise reporter like you. Yeah. I don't even it, know you can find court documents. 
I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's tough to bet against somebody, you know, like Steve Ballmer with $42 billion and who's very motivated to have an arena of his own. At the same time, though, when you have MSG that has an immense amount of money and power in and of itself, you know, if that goes to trial, that's going to be quite a brawl. Yeah, you were the only one that reported on this. So what has been some of the reaction from the parties involved? You don't have to say who, but has anybody reached out and said, hey, uh, let me tell you a different side of the story? You know, I think the parties involved, they all are familiar with all these documents. And I think it's important to point out that the documents we looked at are a tiny fraction of the amount of documents that have actually been produced by all the parties in the course of this litigation. There is a lot more out there. So I look forward to reading them. Are they mad at you? People are always mad at us. (laughs) The Clippers, why would they want to move? So, you know, people who are very familiar with the LA sports scene will know this, but, you know, for those who aren't familiar with it, the Clippers share Staples Center with the Kings and the Lakers, of course, and they get the third choice of dates in this arena. You know, and, I, and Steve Ballmer, since he purchased the team, he spent $2 billion for it. He wants them to have a home of their own, an identity of their own, and not be a third wheel. Again, if you have $42 billion, that's a, a pretty reasonable thing to want. Never a dull moment in the L.A. sports scene, and specifically in the basketball. The Lakers, one way. The Clippers, which freeway could they be using to get to their games? Tanya Ganguly, Nathan Fenno, as always, doing a great job bringing it here to the El Rive Early Late Podcast. And you can always go to the homepage, latimes.com slash podcast, latimes.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Bethel Duran. This podcast produced by Day One, engineered by Mike Heflin. Angel Rodriguez is the sports editor, as always, Rate, review, share, 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 and in case you didn't hear me, share some more. Thank you for listening to the Arrive Early, Leave Late podcast.